and we'll have one of the passages, there'll be others that I will refer to. It's a bit of a topical break, if you will, or a pause from our regular exposition of Genesis, which will resume, Lord willing, the new year. Um, we are looking at the true gifts of Christmas that we receive through Christ, the ultimate gift. To really appreciate the full beauty of a diamond, you want to hold it at different angles and look at it from different vantage points. It's the Kohinoor diamond, which means mountain of light, that is considered the world's most famous, they say priceless diamond. It originally weighed 793 carats. It's been cut and polished over the centuries into its present form, a mere 105.6 carats now. The stone is supposed to be worth over $60 million. It's owned by the British crown. And each new angle of even that diamond shows you something of its brilliance, some of its glory. But Jesus Christ, who we are studying, is far more beautiful and dynamic than the Kohinoor diamond or any other diamond that he made. This is Christ we're looking at, and every angle you look at Jesus from reveals a new aspect to his beauty. And we've been seeing those and looking at those aspects or those attributes of Christ as gifts to us, the way the Scripture describes them. First, we looked at the forgiveness of sins that we receive. The most important of all the gifts we receive has to be forgiveness. Because now that our sins are removed and paid for, forgiven, we have a right relationship with God. So that's the most important of the gifts I suggested. Then right close to that would have to be the family relationship we now enjoy with God in adoption. That would be the second gift. Now we have access to our Father that's immediate. He hears us. He loves us. He cares for us as His sons and daughters. Yes, we're legally pardoned, but we're also adopted by God. He's our Father. That's the second gift. Now today, wouldn't it be great if we could be free from the encumbering things of this world and have the gift of true riches, to really be rich the way God describes riches. Modern Christmas celebrations, of course, part of it is celebrating material stuff that we give to each other. Now, that should not distract Christians from knowing what true riches are. In true riches, the knowledge thereof is a great gift. Most people on earth do not receive this. Even believers can be encumbered by this. But to truly know what riches are, what's really valuable, that's a gift from God that will color the whole of your life, that will give your life purpose and meaning. It's a powerful gift for sure. I'll read just one passage. It's listed there on your, on your insert. Uh, there'll be other verses referred to, of course, but for now, hear God's holy word in this one verse of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It's the ninth verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Let's bow together as I lead us in prayer. Lord, we live in a land of plenty for sure, and even the poorest among us is far better off than most in the world. Of the seven billion occupants of planet Earth or more, I would guess, O oh Lord, in this room, uh, this room contains people who have more material wealth than six plus billion other people. As people who have been given the gift of eternal life, though, please alert us again to our true wealth, what true riches are, spiritual and eternal riches. May the knowledge of our 
everlasting riches in Christ reorient our lives this day and even see those earthly things we have through a new lens. In the midst of a season, that can be at times distracting and cause us to focus on things that don't last and ultimately don't matter. Guide us. Guide us by your truth, the truth of your word, through the illuminating ministry of the Holy Spirit, that we would, in fact, understand what is truly valuable, be free from the constraints of this, this fading world, and unleash to pursue lives of eternal consequence. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. It's true. We're intrigued by, enamored by, at times, earthly riches. Just saw this week that Aaron Judge of the Yankees signed a contract that will pay him close to $400 million over nine years to play a game. I know that's ridiculous, but we all pay for tickets to go to these games. I mean, that's where they're getting their revenue. You name whatever sphere it is, it's an astronomical amount of money. It's hard to imagine. It kind of blows us away. It definitely amazes us. And when we think of riches, we almost always think in those terms of, of earthly riches, of money that we have or possessions that we have. When you think of the richest Americans today, you'll hear that talk oftentimes. Um, Elon Musk is supposed to be worth, and you see even the, the, his worth is attached to dollar amounts, supposed to be worth $219 billion. Jeff Bezos is supposed to be worth $171 billion. Bill Gates is supposed to be worth $129 billion. Picking up the rear and fading fast is Warren Buffett with a mere $118 billion to his credit. You know, when we think of riches, we think in terms of money and stuff all too often. That's the earth's way of thinking of it. I know this should be different for us, and I know it is different, but admittedly, it does come to our minds, and we're amazed by this when we hear these figures. But that's not God's view of riches at all. It's one of those stark differences between the truth of God's view and the truth of things for real and eternity and the way we see things here being so different. These men that I mentioned, for all their billions, by all indications, they could not be more poor. They're spiritually and utterly bankrupt, even going backwards with some of the uses of the money that they've been given stewardship over. At this point, they're really tragic figures as eternity goes. I was reading Psalm 49 in preparation, and it reminded me as a warning to believers too, but just a statement about all our confidence being in those riches. The psalmist says in Psalm 49, Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed. And though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers, who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish." Even the ones we hold in the highest regards in this day and age are no different than animals when it comes down to it when they put all their stock in these things that fade so very fast. Therefore, one of the greatest gifts that we should not overlook, one of the greatest gifts that Christ gives us is the gift of true riches in him and understanding what those riches are. This will be my first health and wealth sermon from this pulpit. It won't be my last either on this vein, comparing who is truly rich with a person who appears rich in this life. Matthew Henry says this, a godly man has thoughts of the world, but they are his outward thoughts. 
His inward thought is reserved for God in heavenly things. But a worldly man has only some floating foreign thoughts of the things of God, while his fixed thought, his inward thought, is about the world, what lies nearest his heart, and is upon the throne there. They cannot for shame say that they expect their houses to continue forever, but inwardly they think so. If they cannot persuade themselves that they shall continue forever, yet they are so foolish as to think their houses shall in their dwelling places. And suppose they should, what good will that do them when they shall be no longer theirs? But they will not, for the world passes away and the fashion of it. All things are devoured by the teeth of time. What we so often identify as riches in this life are not true riches at all, and as believers, we're granted this great grace of God to know the difference, to know what is really valuable. Those who think they are rich in this life are not really rich in eternity's eyes. Not actually rich in the slightest, as it turns out. In some cases, made as poor as you can be because they're so blinded by it. Understanding what is truly valuable is a gift from God, everybody. It's a gift from God. It frees us from the constraints of this fading world around us, and it then unleashes us, whatever we have in this earth, to live lives of eternal consequence. So let's consider together a few points, that I have them listed there on your outline. Let's consider first what we've already started to touch upon, that is the mirage of earthly riches, the delusion of what is actually valuable. Then we'll see how Christ himself gives us himself and gives us true riches. We'll plumb the depths of that a little bit and see what are those specific riches Jesus gives to us because the scripture lays them out, calls them riches. And then what is the outcome of knowing our true spiritual wealth in Christ? Now, first, let's consider a little more about the mirage of earthly riches. Even though I know you as believers recognize this, I know I need this repeated from time to time, especially the words of our Savior, to, to calibrate me, to reorient me, to wake me up at times because sometimes I find myself pursuing too much or worrying too much about these things. Jesus said in Luke 12 when he was observing a couple brothers arguing about the inheritance their parents left, and it was coming between the, these brothers. And so they wanted Jesus to arbitrate. And listen to what Christ says. Someone in the crowd said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter or arbitrator over you? He's recognizing the temporal nature of their discussion. But then Jesus says this, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now that's different from what you hear. Our possessions are often the way people describe us. What is that person worth? And we could fall into thinking that way, that the stuff we accumulate, that's somehow who we are. You know, every year I fill out these forms, these FAFSA forms. Those who have kids in college know what I'm talking about. You fill those out to see if your student is qualified for some kind of scholarships or aid or whatever. And there's this part on there where you have to fill out your net worth. And even though I'm vastly more wealthy than I used to be, uh, it still comes up looking kind of weak. And I'm always a little embarrassed when I write down what my net worth is, where you add up your debts, what you owe on, and then subtract, uh, subtract them from your assets, and that's your net worth. I'm so grateful that's not actually my worth. That's not really 
what my life consists of, the abundance of my possessions. He says, Jesus says, take care, be on your guard now. Don't think that way. You could be pressed to think that way. There's always someone who has more than you and less than you. It's always that way. Don't think in those terms. That's not who they are ultimately. That's not who you are ultimately. Because Jesus said your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Not defined by what you have. This is a a way of thinking that God gives us as a gift so we're not bound up by the things which you can never have enough of if that's where you find your satisfaction. Earthly riches are a mirage. A mirage is something that is believed to be true, but it's actually false and unreal. And the sooner you're awoken to the fact that it's not real, you're freed. But the longer you go believing it, you keep striving at like a rich per, or like a, a person in a desert who's thirsty and sees the mirage. It's an oasis. It's got water. And they get there and there's no water there. It's just a hallucination. It's a delusion. That's what earthly riches are. James captures this when he gives a warning in the fifth chapter of his book. He says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming to you. Because the rich are going to die the same way everybody else does. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Even when they're on earth, that could happen. The godless rich of the world have a terrible shock coming to them. Maybe in this life, but definitely in the one to come. The stuff they have confidence in will fade. It will be no more. The things they are accumulating won't provide anything but a quickly fading security. What misery to trust in that kind of stuff. Earthly riches are a mirage. We need to remember this. Paul, writing to Timothy, he said, but godliness and contentment is great gain. Godliness and contentment, peace with what we have, that's great gain. That's what riches are. For we brought nothing into the world, we cannot take anything out of the world. Possessions can fool us into thinking we're going to have some of this in the next life. It's a distracting mirage. But if we have food and clothing, Paul goes on to say, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. When you have a lot, I think there's always more to be gained. There's experiences you should be able to have. You should be able to buy anything. And it leads you into all sorts of harmful places, destructive places, according to Paul. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. They've trusted in this stuff more than God who's made it all and provides what we need. What a gift it is to know this is not the case. What a gift it is to be freed from that kind of thinking. I don't know about you, but I have to be reminded of this on a regular basis. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see the mirage of earthly riches and the reality of heavenly ones. We can see the trap of devotion to earthly gain. Okay, We've retouched on the mirage of earthly riches. What are true riches? In a person, Jesus Christ is true riches. And what he gives us, it's manifold, more riches that are eternal and unsearchable, innumerable. Christ gives us these true riches and go to him. I read the passage from 2 Corinthians 8. Now for the context, 2 Corinthians 8, the verses that lead up to verse 9. 
He's talking to the Corinthian church, a church that was pretty well off, middle, upper middle class as ancient Greco-Roman world, the ancient Greco-Roman world would go. And they were struggling as new believers because becoming Christians became very costly for many Christians. In Corinth, not so much so. But in wider Macedonia, there were people who were displaced when they proclaimed the name of Christ. And they really fell into earthly poverty. Now, they didn't view it that way spiritually, but outwardly that was the fact. They were in great poverty. In the Corinthian church, not experiencing quite that much pressure, is amazed by what they see from these people who are very poor. Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthians in that light. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. The grace of God is defined as the gospel, the clear gospel of Christ's forgiveness. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So they were recipients of God's grace to the gospel. They were overjoyed by this. And now they were rendered completely broke, poor. But because they were so filled with joy that they realized what true riches are, whatever they did have, they wanted to give it to someone who had less. It's kind of unfathomable when you think about this. It had to blow away the people thinking of this. Because of the abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. It says further, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. In this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. I remember hearing a story from somebody who was a soldier, who was a Christian. He was able somehow uh, in the DMZ in, between North Korea and South Korea to meet some North Korean uh, soldiers. And when they got, this is some years ago, I don't think they could pull this off now, but when they were in private with each other, they exchanged that they were both Christians. And the North Korean Christians wanted to give some money to them so they could tithe. This is an amazing testimony about someone who now knows what is of true value. And it says, Paul writes in this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. They knew what was important, what was eternal. They knew people were struggling worse than them to the point of despair. Christians who were poor by all earthly standards had Christ, and so they were rich. They took up an offering to help encourage other believers in other parts of Macedonia, and Paul's letting the Corinthians know this to encourage them. Paul continues, Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you the act of grace. Keep collecting. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace too. See things straight, Corinthians. Understand what true value is. Then he says, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And he didn't mean earthly riches. He meant something way greater than earthly riches. True riches defined as having Christ. Now, let's look at the specifics of the riches that are yours in Christ Jesus. Because the Bible spells them out, calls them riches. These are yours. This is what you would list on your list of assets. You could see them listed there for you on the outline. I'll go through them. First of all, Romans 10 tells us there's no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, 
bestowing his riches on all who call on him. So anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, these riches are yours. They're credited to your account. First of all, we are given the riches of the unsearchable, of Christ himself, the unsearchable riches that they're defined as. In Ephesians 3, Paul says, To me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles. Preach what? The unsearchable riches of Christ, starting with his salvation that he gives us to make us right with God, and it only just starts there. They're unsearchable. You can't come to the end of them. There's no way to quantify. You could quantify people's net worth in an earthly sense, but you can't quantify the worth of the riches that are in Christ in their yours. They're credited to your account. Also, we are given the riches of his glory. In Colossians 1, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are what? The riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is a glorious mystery to us that God would do what he does in sending him for us. Christ in you is categorized as riches, and you have these riches, the riches of Christ. In Ephesians 3.16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. So power and strength come to us to stand because of the riches of his glory that he shares with us. No earthly glory compares to Christ, and we have his glory through him. What's considered glorious on earth? Great landmarks, great people, great structures. Well, the riches of Christ's glory are greater than all of these combined, and they are ours, they are yours in him. In Romans 9, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy. So his sovereignty over salvation and showing you mercy, all of it is so that you can see and sense and appreciate the riches of his glory. These are given to us. We have a glimpse of this in Christ. Also, we're told that we have the riches of his grace and mercy in Ephesians 2. But God being rich in mercy, out of this richness of his mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we've been saved. We've been given some of the richness of God's mercy to our account. His grace, which is undeserved favor, his mercy, not giving us what we deserve, comes from a storehouse of his riches. Also, we're told in Colossians 2 that we receive the riches of his full assurance and understanding. He gives it to us and then gives us capacity to actually appreciate what I'm saying. As I say these things to you, I know there's a lot, but I trust the Spirit of God will make clear to you in your heart that this is yours, that these are your, your riches. That's what the riches of the fullness, full assurance and understanding means, Colossians 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, that your hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance and under, of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. That the Spirit of God would make you understand what is yours in Christ and is secure in Christ, making you sure that this is yours. What, what is, could be more rich than the person who's sure that God loves them, they're his child? That's real riches. The riches of his wisdom and his knowledge and Romans 11, oh, the depth. It even causes Paul to say, oh, oh, the depth 
of the riches and wisdom. He doesn't look at Elon Musk's account and say, oh, the depth of his $219 billion. He says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. That's where all riches lie. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. You can also notice, and we touched on this last week, when we were talking about inheritance as children. Ephesians 1, the riches of his inheritance. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of of his glorious inheritance in the saints. All that still, that comes to us and will come to us ultimately wasn't uh, just this week where I was helping someone fill out a renter's insurance policy. I hadn't seen one of those in a while and I remember back to filling those out. You get to this section where you have to list all of your valuables and you're supposed to put your guesstimate and what they're worth. Receipts and pictures are nice too. They like that as well. And you list the stuff. And I was just thinking to myself, man, if you fill it out, as much as I think I got a lot of things, it's not as great as I, I, I can imagine, but I guess I would list out, you know, what, what would be, if someone came in and robbed stuff out of our house, what would I really want to cover? Well, there's an engagement ring, it's a wedding ring now that, I don't know, 2,000, 3,000, there's a computer I have, 1,500 maybe, a PlayStation, my kids would say, you want to make sure you cover that, Dad, for sure, I'm sure that's, that's right. And then I have seven whitetail buck shoulder mounts, 1.2 million for that, and then I would have... Upright piano, 5,000, antique dining room set this. Listen, instead of filling all that out, I dare any one of you Christians here, let, let Geico or Allstate or American Family, whoever it is, list out your stuff. But then at the end say, but what I got here you can't underwrite, but I want to let you know about it. I've got the unsearchable riches of Christ, priceless. I, as my possession, have the riches of God's glory in Christ. I have... As my own, the riches of Christ's grace and his mercy, priceless. I have for myself the riches of his full assurance of salvation and heavenly understanding. Better than anything Allstate, no matter how good your hands are, Allstate, they're not that good. You don't have all that. I have for myself the riches of God's wisdom and his knowledge, priceless. You can't underwrite this. I have as for my own the riches of Christ's inheritance, all priceless, true riches. And when we understand this, it unleashes us to live lives of eternal consequence. In this room are some of the richest people on the planet Earth, and that's every one of us. And don't ever fall into, well, at least he's really talking to the rich people. I'm talking to you. You're here in Johnson County. You're here at, you're rich. There's, there's 6.5 billion people got less than you, probably. So with that, realize that we also in this room, however, have some of the richest people in the universe if you're in Christ, and that's more important than the first one. And that will help you rightly relate with that first point. What do we do then with this stuff that's temporary? How can we use it so that it helps other people's eternity? That's really the question. It's, it's here to be used for the purpose of advancing what is eternally significant. And people are eternally significant. So what do we give towards? Do uh, use our resources and our talents and all that. What do we pour this out on? Pour it out on things that will make people know who the true and living God is, that they might know him, that they might live up under him and love him and give him glory to. Whatever supports people who are eternal in this way, these are good uses of these temporal things we have. And it helps us put it in right perspective when we see it this way. I think it's clear that we're free to pursue lives of eternal consequence now that we get what true riches are. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. That's foolish. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our treasure, if it's Christ, it's going to be in the things that advance Christ. And we want people to be advanced in Christ. They're eternal. People are going to live forever somewhere. And we know that because God's Word says it. We know what true riches are, so we want everyone to be rich like that. That's what we desire. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So in other words, whatever you have, God will provide what you need. He is your provider. Then the writer of Hebrews says, so then we can confidently say, and this shapes everything, the Lord is my helper. It's not really the company I work for, the business I have. God's provided, the, the Lord is my helper. He's the one, I will not fear. God will provide for me. What can man do to me? Do you see how this liberates you? You're not beholden to man. It's God who provides. And so whatever you have by way of provision, it's from him. Use it for him and for his glory. Because what can a person, you could even kill me and it wouldn't matter. What can man really do to me? I am my Lord's and everything is his. That's true riches and you all have it in Christ. Luke chapter 16. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. And when you recognize this, when we understand what true riches are, we are entrusted by God to live lives of major consequence for eternity. And we're led by God to do things in this life that will make an impact for eternal, eternity. If you've been entrusted with much, let's not let any of that go to our heads. Let's recognize the true riches we have and respond with those earthly riches to promote those things that give glory unto God. There was a few years back now I was attending a visitation for a relatively young man who had died. I'd come to know the family pretty well, and his father especially, who always impressed me as a very quiet, pious, godly man. And, and this is true of him for sure. Very unassuming. We were sitting there together talking about all sorts of things, life, the, the, the grieving uh, that we were going through, the loss of, of this friend of mine and son of his, he, the man I was talking to, had lived, uh, worked a trade his whole life, had been very careful and uh, frugal and had a life of retirement he was living then. It was, it was content. It was very, uh, very unassuming uh, and humble. As we sat together talking about various things, a guy walks in um, who looked prominent, like you could tell by what he was wearing and what he drove, that kind of thing. I saw it. I could tell the way people were responding to him. He was someone that people really knew. He was prominent. It turns out this was this man's brother, um, who was the uncle of the guy who died. I learned uh, that he owned several businesses and such in the Midwest and was very rich and people knew it. The man said to me some very nice things about this guy um, and he was very, very complimentary, but then he leaned over to me and he said it very quietly and I'll never forget it. I, I, I describe this often as a way I'd never heard of talking about knowing Christ, but he said, Tony, he doesn't know the riches of Christ. That's not a way we normally describe someone who's not a believer. Oh, they don't know Christ. He doesn't know the riches of Christ. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Brothers and sisters, when you know what true riches are, you won't be jealous when you see other people who have much, or when you see Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates or Warren Buffett. In fact, in the case of those guys, you've got to feel terribly sorry for them. We ought to have great empathy for what awaits them if they do not come to know the riches of Christ. We'll pray that they do come to know the riches of Christ, not because God needs those riches, but because they need God, just like we all do. And that's where actual wealth is found. Let's pray. O oh Lord, it is true what Matthew Henry said, for the world passes away in the fashion of it. All things are devoured by the teeth of time. What a glorious gift you have given us to know what really matters. O oh Lord, we can see the richness that is ours in Jesus Christ. And we are eternally grateful for this. We want everyone to have part in these riches. Lord, during this season of reflection and celebration for what you have done, sending Christ, please renew and reset our eternal perspective, knowing the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that we by his poverty might become rich. I pray this in Christ. Amen. Let's together...